Good morning, church family. Thank you to um, a number of our well-trained medical staff who responded so well to the situation earlier. We're grateful for your willingness to use your gift and, gifts and talents to serve others in the body of Christ here at Woodlawn. We're also grateful for our brother Randy Trahan and David Stokes. David is joining us on the stage. I think the majority of you know David is going to be leading on Sunday mornings for us. Randy is leading our, our choir, and both Randy and David have full-time day jobs. Randy serves as a professor at Louisiana State University in their law school, and David serves as chief of staff to U.S. Senator John Kennedy. And so both of them are uh, giving up some amount of time to service here in the body of Christ at Woodlawn, and we're very grateful uh, for their willingness to service in, in this way. So thank you, brothers, for, for doing just uh, that for us. I'd like to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus as we continue to make our way through this revelation of God to His people. If you're visiting with us this morning, it is our habit here at Woodlawn to take books of the Bible and to preach through those books of the Bible, for we believe that God has equally spoken through each of these books of the Bible, and the way in which you and I are to know God is through His Word. So we want to give ourselves to the preaching and teaching of God's Word, and we go back and forth between Old Testament text and and New Testament text. We're now in the book of Exodus, and we'll be here for the next several weeks until we start our Christmas season together. In case you have forgotten what has been going on in the text of Scripture here in Exodus, the Lord has called to him Moses. Moses is going to serve as a prophet of God and go to Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. But Moses complains to the Lord, if you will, that he has a problem, that he is not able to speak, and he's not sure that he's the right man for the task. And so he asks the Lord for some help, and the Lord actually gives to him Aaron, his brother. And now Moses and Aaron are going to go stand before Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. We've already seen this first endeavor in this text of Scripture, it doesn't go so well, does it? Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh, and not only do they not get what they desire, but what they do not desire, they actually get. They don't get freedom, they get more intense slavery. Their slavery is intensified by the fact that Moses and that the people of Israel are now going to be responsible not only for making the bricks, now they have to go out and get their own straw to make those bricks. So Israel does what you and I excel at. We love to complain about our circumstances. Israel now is not only upset at God, she's also upset at God's prophet, at, at Moses. And Moses, if you had not done this, if you had not led him this way, if you had not had this conversation, if you had not obeyed the voice of God, we wouldn't be in this situation. And we find this conversation here in 
Genesis chapter 6, sorry, in Exodus chapter 6, as the narrative picks up, we see God seeking to remind Moses and Aaron yet again exactly who he is. We have this wonderful text here in Exodus chapter 6, verse 3. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. But God is going to reveal himself as as Yahweh. Look down in chapter 6, verse 8. I am Yahweh. God has already met Moses in the wilderness, Exodus chapter 3, and revealed himself to Moses as to who he was. Now God is reminding Moses and the nation of Israel yet again under this cloud of doubt exactly who God is. And as Moses continues in this doubt, we pick up in this text in chapter 6, verse 14, with what might appear to be a pause in the narrative, a timeout, if you will, in the story. But I want you to see through this text that this listing of this genealogy is not a pause or a timeout from the narrative. But God is using this genealogy as he does the rest of this communication of this text to remind Moses and Aaron that he and he alone is in control. When tempted to doubt, when tempted to question God's direction, God is continually reminding you and me he is in control. Look how God reminds Moses and Aaron and the nation of Israel, and by extension, you and me, that he is indeed control. He does this first by reminding Moses of his family. This is what's happening in this abbreviated genealogy. If you've read through the book of Genesis, we're going through Genesis and Sunday school, you're going to notice that this is a, uh, an abbreviated genealogy in this text of Scripture. This genealogy is different than what we see in Genesis and also different than what we see listed in other texts of scriptures. Moses here in this text, thank you guys for serving our community so well. We love you, Miss Gail. Moses is using this genealogy to remind Israel himself, and by extension, you and me, that God is indeed in control. Look at this text of Scripture here in verses 14 through 25. These are the heads of their father's houses. And then notice what's going to happen. Moses is going to list three of the sons of Jacob, of Israel, until uh, he comes to a very certain point. Look at these sons here, the sons of of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Pau, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. 
the sons of Simeon, now the second son, Jemuel, Jamin, Oed, Jochen, Zoor, Saul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the sons of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of, notice that next word, Levi. Now make a note of it. For those of us who have read our text, we've read all the way through the Pentateuch, what is the significance of the listing of the name of Levi? Well, there's a number of things that have been listed out here, right? Levi, the Levites are going to be the priestly clan of the nation of Israel. Our brother back here said we're going to get Jesus through, through Levi. So this name is important, and you'll notice this is the last, this is the last listing of the three sons of Israel. No more are communicated. Only these three. Why? Through Levi, we are going to get Moses and Aaron. So listen how this text is recounted. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The, son, the sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amron, Izar, Hebron, Uziel. The, son, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Ma, Malai, Mushai. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amron took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore to him whom? Aaron and Moses. Now just for a moment, if you think you have an interesting family tree, how many of you can claim that through one person, you've got both a great-grandfather and a great-great-grandfather? The sons of Izar, verse 21, Korah, Nepheg, Zechari, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphon, and Shithri. Aaron took as his wife Elizabeth, the daughter of Amenadab, and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him, you'll remember these names, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abishaph. These are the, these are the clans of the Korites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore to him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clan. Moses is giving this abbreviated genealogy as a reminder that God is in control. Moses and Aaron, you, by God's decree, by God's good providence, 
You are part of this family that goes all the way back to Abraham. You are part of this connection of a group of people that God has specifically called to lead his people to freedom. And in this moment of incredible doubt in the mind of Moses, this moment of doubt on behalf of Aaron that they will not be able to serve effectively as God's mouthpiece. God is saying to them, yes, you will, because you're coming from the right family. It's interesting, this genealogy. Why doesn't Moses simply stop with the listing of he and his brother's name? Why continue? Why continue to future generations? It's as if Moses, by the Spirit to you and me, is reminding us, as we think about God's good providence, God is, has not only acted in the past on behalf of his people, God is not only acting in the present on behalf of his people, but God will act in the future on behalf of his people. You've read the narrative, you've come to the book of Numbers, and you remember the name of Phineas from Numbers. We see this uh, providential situation in Numbers chapter 25. The people of Israel are doing what God has told them not to do. They're intermingling with these pagan peoples, the Israelites, the Israelite men are marrying the Moabite women. God sees what is taking place with this. He's angry about what is taking place. He, he tells uh, the leadership to actually go out and slay all of these men who are participating in, in, in these pagan expressions of marriage. And to point their finger directly in the face of God, the text highlights a story of two individuals who are going to take it to the Lord, if you will. And in the midst of this declaration of God's anger of the nation of Israel marrying Moabite women's, women, an Israeli man, the text of Scripture tells us, takes a Moabite, Moabite woman, and in this public display of profanity, they engage sexually with one another. And what does the Bible tell us Phineas does? He sees that display, that affront against the holiness of God. And Phineas takes a spear and sticks that spear right through the chest of these two people, killing them. As a demonstration that God will not be mocked. And God is holy. And because He's holy, so too should His people be holy. And God makes this incredible promise with Phineas. He makes a covenant of peace with Phineas. You see what God is saying to Moses and to Aaron? God, in those moments in which we are tempted to doubt, is continually reminding us He is in control. And He takes this genealogy, and He says to Moses and Aaron, that truth that you and I profess, even to this day, 
I will always be with you. Friend, no matter the task, no matter the difficulty of the circumstance in which you find yourself in, look back at God's good acts of providence in your life. Look at how he's working now. Hear his word of how he will respond in the future. And know, God is always at work on behalf of his people. God reminds Moses and Aaron through this genealogy that he's in control. The priests are going to come from Levite, the Levites. Jesus is going to come from Judah. I said Levites a while ago, a few moments ago. Jesus is going to come from Judah. And now, in verses 26 and 27, God is going to remind Moses that he's in control by reminding Moses of God's call in Moses' life. Look at verse 26. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. God isn't calling someone else. God hasn't tasked another to complete his will in this way. God has specifically called to himself Moses and Aaron to be the spokesman to go before Pharaoh, a deity in his own mind, a deity among the nation of Egypt, to go to him and to confess the truth that there is only one God and his name is Yahweh. Let my people go. Like Moses and Aaron, there are times in life when we wonder like they, God, am I really sufficient? So much of our identity gets caught up in our circumstances. So much of our identity gets caught up in the way in which God has, has made us. Listen at what Moses is doing. The Lord's created Moses. Moses seems to have some type of speech impediment. And what is Moses, how is Moses using this speech impediment? How is he allowing that, that obstacle in his life to define him? Is Moses filtering his understanding of himself as being one who is created in the image of God? Is Moses filtering his life through this divine call? Or is Moses looking at his own circumstances? Is Moses looking at his own physical well-being and making a judgment about who he thinks he is in light of those circumstances? For too many of us, our dependency is not upon God's call. For too many of us, our dependency is not upon God's word. Our dependency is upon our circumstances or our physicality, the way God has made us. See what God is doing for Moses? 
Moses, I didn't call you because you were great at speech. Moses, I didn't call you because you had this perfect background, because you had never sinned. Moses, I called you because I am God, and I chose you for this task. This is what Moses needs to be reminded of. Friends, God has called you and me to be a holy people. Not because before God's call we were holy. In fact, before God's call, we were completely unholy. But God has called us himself as believers, and he's given us a task, not in light of who we are, but in light of who he is. How are you living out God's call in your life based on who he is and not who you are? What are you unwilling to do because you look at your present circumstances and think, God, I just can't do that? What are you saying no to God over? Because you think, I don't have the right education. I've not been rightly trained. What are you saying no to God over? Because you don't feel like you look the part or can play the part. God hasn't called you and me to be a people who declare his glory to the world because of anything within us. He's called us to be a people who declare his glory to the world because he's a holy God and he's extended his salvation to you and to me. When tempted to doubt, when tempted to question God's call in your life, when tempted to doubt the task that God has given you to be a good mom or a good dad or an engaged grandparent, when tempted to doubt your responsibility to proclaim the gospel to those in your sphere of influence. Would you be reminded of this one truth? God has called you and me to do exactly that. And what God uses, friends, is our faithfulness. What God wanted from Moses was his obedience. What God desires of you and me is likewise our obedience and our faithfulness. When Moses doubted, God reminded him of his family. When Moses doubted, God reminded him of his call and his life. Look what the text of Scripture tells us here in verse 28. When Moses doubted, God reminded Moses of himself. Verse 28, on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am Yahweh. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. 
But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? God does for Moses what he's already done for Moses throughout this text. He's reminding Moses of his very character and nature. God isn't calling Moses to accomplish a task because there's some inherent good in Moses or ability in Moses. It's not because Moses has a PhD in leadership from the local state university. It's not because Moses can point back to a point in his life in which he rose through the ranks of the Egyptian army, starting out as a private and reaching the rank of a five-star general. No. God is reminding Moses that he can indeed accomplish God's will in his life based solely, not upon who Moses is, but completely and totally upon who God is. Did you see this text? On that day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. It's interesting how the text of Scripture uses this covenantal name of God, Yahweh, over against other names of God, such as El or Elohim. This term Yahweh was to be the, the covenantal name of God by which Israel understood her place, by which Israel would understand her relationship with God. It was not Israel who sought out relationship with God. It was rightly the opposite. It was God who sought out. It was Yahweh who sought out relationship with Israel. And this name by which Israel will know God, Yahweh, used over 6,000 times, by the way, in the Old Testament. This was the name by which Moses and Aaron and the nation of Israel would know this imminent God. The name by which they would have personal relationship with God. This is what God is saying to Moses. Moses, at that moment in which you're tempted to doubt, at that moment in which you're tempted to not trust, be reminded, I am a personal God who has sought relationship with you. Moses, you can know who I am. And this is exactly what Jesus does for us in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew reminds us the beginning of the Gospel and at the end of the gospel, that he is one who is always with his people. He truly will never leave us nor forsake us. Does that mean that we won't have expressions in life or circumstances in life in which we think God has abandoned us? No. This is exactly what's happening in this text. 
Moses and Aaron have already carried out what they thought was God's task. They went before Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh doesn't listen. In fact, he does rightly the opposite. And guess what type of circumstance the nation of Israel is in? They're not hoping Moses and Aaron will continue to fill the ta- fulfill the task to which God has called them. They want them to stop. God is reminding Moses and Aaron through this text, and by extension, you and me, in those moments in which we are tempted to doubt, don't look at your circumstances. Look to this God who through Christ and by His Spirit has brought Himself directly to your life and to my life. Rest in God's goodness to you and to me that he has given us his spirit he's always with us when tempted to doubt god said moses look back at your family when when tempted to doubt moses remember this call that i have given you when tempted to doubt moses remember myself but notice what happens here in chapter 7 God is going to take Moses on a quick little reminder trip. He's going to remind Moses of his faithfulness to him in past acts. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Moses has already been told everything that God reminds him of here. There isn't a new piece of communication in this proclamation. God's already given this task to Moses. Now, there are a few things that we learn here. For example, we already know that Moses would be like a God to whom? Aaron. But now this text of Scripture tells us that Moses is going to be like God to Pharaoh. Isn't this interesting? Pharaoh supposes himself to be God. You see how the author, you see how Moses is continually setting up what we're going to enter into next week as this competition, if you will, between two competing deities, one who is himself God and one who supposes himself to be God. And God is going to work through Moses to be this mouthpiece, this prophetic utterance to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh ultimately, we'll see in a few moments, will understand exactly who God is. You're going to speak to him all that I've commanded you And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of the land, 
But notice what the text of Scripture says, verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to make his will stubborn. We have already been shown in chapter 4, verse 12, this, this promise to Moses of how God is going to use Moses' interaction with Pharaoh ultimately to accomplish his will that we see at the end of the last miracle in this text of Scripture in Exodus chapter 4 through 14. If God is going to display in the context of this passage of Scripture, if God is going to communicate His sovereign reign over all of the deities in Egypt, over all of the gods in Egypt, how could He do it? How could God display His might, His strength, His power to these pagan people? He's going to do it for them through these signs and wonders, what you and I call the plagues. But suppose you're Pharaoh. And this guy Moses comes to you, and he says to you, hey, let my people go. And you're like, huh, who does this guy think he is? I'm not going to let this people go. Well, I'll tell you what, if you don't let the people go, I'm going to take your entire water source, that which makes you a wealthy country. I'm going to take that entire water source and I'm going to turn that water source into blood. Of course, you're Pharaoh and you're thinking, this guy's crazy. He's a quack. You don't listen to him. So he shows up. And the next thing you know, the guy stretches out his hand over the Nile, and every bit of it turns to blood. If you are a normal king, even in your arrogance, what are you going to say? Please get out of my land. Run quickly. I can't afford to have the Nile, the source of provision, the source of, of wealth. I can't afford for that not to work in its proper way. Get out of here. But what does the text of Scripture say to us God's going to do? God is going to strengthen. God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will act in utter stubbornness against God's will for what purpose? Look back at the text of Scripture in verse 5. The Egyptians shall what? Know. They shall intimately know. There shall be no question. 
They shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. God is going to strengthen the stubbornness of Pharaoh against himself, ultimately to set Pharaoh up in such a way that throughout the land of Egypt, and we know that it doesn't just communicate to the land of Egypt, we know that it communicates to all the peoples around and this narrative is still communicating to you and me today exactly who God is. I'm going to do this so that the Egyptians may know that I reign supreme. And by the way, this entire narrative of God's desire that he be made known, even made known to these pagan peoples, is communicated throughout the entirety of this display of signs and wonders. Look in chapter 7, verse 17. Chapter 7, verse 17. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall what? Know that I am the Lord. Look down in chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 10. And he said, tomorrow, and Moses says, be it as you say so that you may what? So that you may know. Look at chapter 9, verse 14. Chapter 9, verse 14. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants, and on your people, so that you may, so that you may know. Look at chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 2. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandsons how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Chapter 14, again, twice in chapter 14, he communicates his truth to the nation of Israel. In chapter 14, verse 4, and again in chapter 14, verse Verse 14, uh, verse 4, and verse 14, and verse 4, and verse 17, he repeats this same desire that the peoples may know. Friends, God is acting in the totality of the book of Exodus with one desire. to grant to his people salvation so that they and the pagan peoples around them may know he is God. And in the same way, friends, God is still acting through the giving of His Son, Jesus Christ, to display to you and to me and to the world that He and He alone is a saving God. John tells us in John chapter 12, Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw people to myself. 
How do we, dis- how do we see? How is God's love displayed? How is God's desire that you and I might know who He is? How is that communicated to you and to me today? The height of that communication is seen through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, through Christ's substitutionary atonement on my behalf and on your behalf. God is acting to bring people to faith in Christ. God is acting to bring people to salvation, just as he was doing in the book of Exodus by displaying in high definition his greatness and his goodness to all people. For the scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This God in Exodus is the same God in the New Testament that is declaring and displaying his glory so that other people might know exactly who he is. But it's not only God at work, friends. God is not the only one at work to display his glory and his might and his power to the world. He is the major player in this life in this drama of redemption. But God is also calling you and me to fulfill that task as well. Just as he called Moses and Aaron, so too is God calling you and me to make his name known to the world. Verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron, notice what the text says, did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. When? When Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83. God's desire is that none should perish, but that all should come to faith in Christ. He has made that communication known through the giving of His Son, Jesus Christ. And secondly, He's made it known by calling to Himself a people who by faith trust in Him, who then will turn around and take that same gospel narrative and tell it to the world. You see this concluding text, this summation? Moses and Aaron doubted. God reminds them in several ways that he's in control. And Moses and Aaron respond in obedience. I love this text. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as God commanded. 
Friends, I can't think of a better summation of my life, your life, or the life of this church than for us to be known as a people of God who did so. To be known as a people of God that did just as God commanded them. Are you being a Moses and Aaron today? Are you being a faithful follower of Christ today? Are you living out God's call in your life? Are you living out God's task in your life? One of my favorite things to do is to spend four weeks in the month of October with some of our children in the life of this church on an introduction to the Christian life. And today, we spent time talking about what is the church and what should the church do. And we concluded by looking at the Great Commission. God's people have always been given a Great Commission to obey the voice of God. That didn't just start with the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Will you, will I, will we collectively, Woodlawn Baptist Church, obey God's voice and do all He has commanded us? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank You for the grace that You have extended to us through the sending of Your Son, Jesus. We thank you for this reminder that you've given to Moses and to Aaron and by extension to us this morning that you, God, are in control and we can rest in your goodness and in your direction. And we ask, God, that by your Spirit you would cause us to be a people who do exactly that. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning, friend, and reflect on your life for a few moments? Are there areas in your life where you find yourself doubting God? Maybe you're struggling with the direction of a child in your life. And you're wondering about God's goodness to you. Perhaps you're resisting what you know to be God's command for you to share the gospel. And you have a coworker that you've been working with for several years, and you know that co coworker is lost. And you feel the conviction of the Spirit to share Christ with that person, and you've been rejecting it.
You're doubting whether you're the right person, whether you have all the answers to all the objections that you know they're going to throw at you. Perhaps you're struggling in the context of marriage. And you're wondering if you should remain committed when your spouse seems uncommitted. And you're doubting God's good kindness toward you. Would you see God's promises displayed through this text of how he shows us he never leaves us nor forsakes us? Would you see that in me encouraged this morning? Would you rest not in your character, but in God's character this morning? And in that, find peace and satisfaction. Perhaps, friend, you're here this morning and you do not believe. You've never trusted in God. You've never believed in the salvation that He has made for you through the sacrifice of His Son, Christ. And like the Egyptians, you realize this morning you stand in opposition to God. Friend, you don't have to wait until God's display of judgment has been poured out against your life for you to see and know the goodness and the greatness of God. Would you look to Jesus this morning and be saved? Would you trust in Christ? For the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In just a moment, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. As we do stand to sing, myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. If you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, we'll be glad to share that with you. But friend, you don't have to come forward and speak to one of us. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you, for there are plenty of people seated around you who would delight in sharing with you the truth of God's Word. Secondly, perhaps you'd like one of us just to pray with you. Like Moses, you, you have some doubt. And friends, let's just confess, we all have doubts from time to time, and we need our faith to be strengthened. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you that God might strengthen your faith. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed upon your heart that this is a faith family in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Him, this would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you now, may our responses be pleasing to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?